0: Welcome to Happy Trails, the podcast for trail riders. Episode 8, Riding and Packing with Robert Eversoll. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Jess. I'm coming to you from La Grande, Oregon in the Blue Mountains east of the Cascade Range. We moved here nearly two weeks ago so that I could attend a 50-mile endurance ride. We chose this area because it happened to be between Bozeman, Montana, where we spent the majority of the summer, and Bend, Oregon, where we planned to stay into the fall. In case you're new to the show, let me explain. My partner Byron and I are full-time digital nomads. We live in an RV and bring our horses with us everywhere we go. We primarily camp in national forests or on BLM land, but sometimes stay at horse campgrounds, boarding facilities, or in a friend's backyard. Our lifestyle is challenging, but rewarding. Planning where to camp comfortably and safely with two horses requires a ton of research. One of the resources I use is trailmeister.com. This website is filled with state-by-state information on trails and horse camps around North America. I wanted to learn more about its creator, so I contacted Robert Eversol.
1: Hi, I'm Robert Ebersole. You may know me as the Trailmeister. I own the largest guide to horse trails and horse camps uh, in the world at this point, trailmeister.com, T-R-A-I-L-M-E-I-S-T-R, the German spelling. Um, but I'm not behind the computer uh, updating the, the website. Uh, you can generally find me trail riding and packing uh, across the U.S.
0: I asked Robert what attracted him to trail riding, and this was his response.
1: Because of women, because women are terrible bad influences, and it's how I met my wife.
0: He told me he'd gotten into horses late in life basically on accident. At the time, he was working for a financial institution in Ohio and was given an assignment to visit a potential client, a therapeutic riding stable.
1: So I went there, um, you know, on behalf of the bank. And one of the volunteers was quite fetching. And I thought if I wanted to hang out with her more, I needed to get more involved with these scary, intimidating, smelly animals.
0: So he began volunteering and struck up a relationship with the cute girl that had caught his eye. As time passed, he decided to take on the role of instructor.
1: That required learning how to ride instead of hanging on like a, like a big naked monkey. So now... I'm a PATH-registered instructor, so I teach children and adults uh, with challenges equitation. Uh, And I've taken a lot of that into my clinics um, across the nation as well, teaching people how to have a better time on the trail and in camp.
0: His interest in riding grew along with his romantic relationship. Eventually, he married, and he and his wife, Celeste, decided to make the commitment
1: We took the big plunge and we got a horse. (laughs) Um, Once we got the horse, being a a good Midwestern boy, had to have a job for it. So we joined a mounted search and rescue unit outside of Cincinnati called the East Fork State Park Volunteer Mounted Search and Rescue Team. What an acronym. Uh, And that's where we started trail riding. And I was terrified. It's, it's a lot different uh, being out on the trails than inside an arena.
0: I was surprised to hear this and very curious to know what Robert did to combat his fears. He said,
1: uh, I looked at that uphill shoulder and thought happy thoughts a lot. Uh, I held my breath a lot, which is a bad thing. And in and, and the therapeutic side of the house, you know, when I'm teaching my students, when we're afraid, because you know fear happens, uh, we sing. So I'm sure a lot of people on the search and rescue, as well as my wife and many others that have trail ridden with me, have heard some terrible renditions of itsy bitsy spider (laughs) along the way when we get into tight spots. You know, you you can't hold your breath when you're talking or singing. Singing makes a nice, you know, tool uh, to get through. But uh, even today, when you you can tell I'm someplace where I'm not comfortable because I have a fear of heights. Um, I get more talkative <laughs> when, when we're someplace that, uh, that I'm not real comfortable. You know, if, if, if it's a nice stretch of dirt and we're going down, down the way, you know, enjoying the scenery, I'm generally pretty quiet, just enjoying the view. <laughs> but when it gets uh, a little bit uh, sporty, if you will, I start talking a lot more. That's my tell, I guess. I'd be a terrible poker player.
0: So heights and exposure are not his thing. What is
1: anything with a view, I think, um, or the, the, the trail that goes to a great, uh, fishing spot. Um, you know, I think every place has something special. Um, you know, those great views, unfortunately come with, you know, some steepness, which I'm not terribly comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I like to think of those high mountain passes and, and scree slopes and things like that as the price of admission, if you will, uh, for some really spectacular stuff. But, you know, I, I'm not an extreme rider and I, and I don't want to be, uh, nice and mellow is what I enjoy best. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to compete against anything. Um, just a nice mellow trail, um more more, more is the better if there's a great fishing hole at the end of it.
0: Finding trails that appeal to you, suit your ability, and your horse's level of experience can be difficult. Information can be sparse or hard to find. So I asked Robert how he finds places to ride.
1: When I'm looking for new places to ride, not only do I care where it is, how many miles of trail, what's the camp like, you know, I want to know what the road in is like. Uh, like a lot of people, or maybe it's just me. I, I I have a I have challenges backing my trailer. Uh, I am not a good trailer trailer backer at all, and so wee tiny tight turnarounds are not pleasant for me. Uh, I get migraines when I try to maneuver the trailer in in tight spots. My wife is much better at those things than I. But, you know, I want to know what's the road in like. Am I going to be able to turn around easy? Is there water? Especially when you're camping, you know, my mules, horses in general, you know, when they're working, they're drinking, you know, 10 to 15 gallons of water a day. And that's a lot of water um if, if you want to try to carry it you know that's very limiting so most of the places that i go i make sure that there is water either you know good streams or, or pumps or what have you some of the other things that i look for are is the area used a lot um i'm not i i like to pretend that i'm the first guy that that's seen a stretch of trail so if it's really hectic and busy Maybe i'll I'll pass and find someplace else. So a lot of that secondary information about a trail area I think is really important. I want to find good trail maps of an area. Um, I don't like surprises, <laughs> so I kind of want to know what's the terrain like. i'm I'm not comfortable where it's really steep and rocky and exposed. So if that's what the uh, the terrain is like, again, I might find a different place to go. Um, so there's a lot of different things that I look for in a new riding place before I ever load the trailer. I think a trail ride begins well, well before we load the, load the ponies and, and head, out the, uh, head out the gate. And a, a great resource to find that information is trailmeister.com in my very best uh, radio voice there. Um, Yeah, I I created trailmeister.com, good heavens, over a decade ago. Now I feel old Um, when we still lived in Ohio and rode because at the time I could not find good, accurate information about different places to ride. And I felt obligated to drive the car to these new areas just to make sure that could I get my trailer in and out, is the area really welcoming to horse use? Were the trails appropriate for what I wanted to do? So, like I said, I, I, I felt obligated to take the car and drive to a new place first just to see if I wanted to go through the hassle of loading the horses and going there. And quite frankly, I thought it was, was crazy to have to do that. Uh, I really wish there was another resource that I could have used at that time because creating the database for this has been just a huge labor. It's a ton of work. Um, but that's why we, we created the website. And it's everything that I want to know about an area before I arrive. Everything from, you know, do I, do I have a trail map of the area? photos of the parking we have satellite imagery of the parking areas just because i'm not a good trailer backer at all and and i like knowing i can turn around um as well as is there water is it potable water is it stock water are there restrooms it's kind of nice to have a have a facility at the (laughs) trailhead so it's all the information that i want to know like i said before i load the trailer um I would much rather have my adventures elsewhere than pulling into a trailhead and not knowing what's there. So right now, Trailmeister, we have trail data in every state of the nation, and we have over 3,700 places to ride and camp around the continent. Uh, We have places in Canada as well. Now, 3,700 sounds like a lot, but... It's really not. Um, we have, what, 140 places, I believe, in Washington. Uh, there's probably 140 places just on the, the west side of the mountains. Uh, I don't try to put every place on the uh, on the directory. I try to put the places that are most welcoming to horses. Uh, I really try to go in depth in the, the public access areas. So Forest Service, BLM, state parks, places that our taxes already paid for, quite frankly. Uh, we do have a lot and a growing number of guest ranches, and they're more than welcome to post as well. Website users can also upload uh, trail areas and share them with others. I'm a big believer that if we don't share the areas that we ride and enjoy, that we will lose access to them. Uh, land managers, they pay attention to what kind of trail users are going out of a trailhead, are using a horse camp. If we don't have people using these areas, we will lose access to it. So I think of you know sharing our horse trails as a way to preserve access, not just for us, but, but our children and our grandchildren.
0: Trail riding and camping at the trailhead with your horses is a ton of fun, but packing into the wilderness has an extra level of appeal. There's a romanticism to the idea of loading up all of your gear and riding away into the depths of the mountains where few people have ever set foot. Doing some overnights with our horses in the backcountry is a goal of mine, but I have a lot to learn before jumping into packing. Robert's story is a good example to learn from.
1: We started packing when we moved to the West coast, uh, because believe it or not, Ohio doesn't have great packing opportunities. Uh, before we moved uh, to Washington, we were, we were day riders or we camp, you know, at a horse camp at, at the trailhead kind of thing. But when we moved out to Washington and really started exploring, you know, capital W wilderness areas, it seems like the places that we would stop for lunch were places with great views, those wonderful vistas. And, uh, and I think a lot of us, you know, tell ourselves when we're at that, at that break, you know, it'd be nice to stay here for a little bit. And that was really kind of what got me into the packing side of the house. Prior to, to packing, we would go in off of our riding animals into a wilderness area and just pack what we needed, you know, for a day, tops two um, off of riding animals. And and that got us out there, which was wonderful.
0: The transition from minimalist saddlebag camper to full-blown packer came on because of a hunger, a hunger for real food and a comfortable night's sleep.
1: Um, So I guess the short answer to why I, I started packing was I wanted to eat better. I guess that's pretty bad. You know, freeze-dried boiling meals and sleeping in a hammock. Uh, I wanted to live a little bit better (laughs) and and eat a little bit better. So with going to the packing animals and, and having a dedicated animal to bring camp and food, we could enjoy ourselves a lot more.
0: So how should somebody get started packing with their horses or mules?
1: I think my first recommendation to anybody that's interested in packing is not to pack. Uh, But rather, there's a lot of things that we can do with just regular riding equipment, riding saddles. We can get uh, saddle pannier bags that just go over a riding saddle. And just, you know, throw your stuff in there. Um, I think it's very easy and preferable to start slow and cheap uh, when you get into packing and decide if it's worth it for you. Uh, I've come to believe that when you're packing, taking an extra animal isn't an extra animal's worth of work, but it's three extra animals worth of work (laughs) (laughs) because I have to worry about their feed. I need to worry about containing them, keeping them healthy and safe and happy. Um, so adding that, that extra animal, it's a lot of work, uh, for me, it's well worth it. Um, but when we first started, it was a saddle pannier. So soft bags on my wife's Icelandic, uh, when she couldn't come with me and I would load those bags up. Um, had a lot of talks with, you know, my veterinarian, what can I safely carry as, you know regards to weight and then i i ran into the backcountry horsemen uh fabulous group uh their name i believe lies in two ways most of them are front country riders most of them are women but the amount of information this organization has is incredible um so i started going to their meetings and talking with with their packers about how to do this safely and efficiently um I'm no extremophile, um, and I want to have a good time and be safe. Um, So I learned a lot from the backcountry horsemen along the way. Um, it's, It's to their credit that I'm doing what I'm doing right now in regards to packing.
0: Byron and I only have two horses, and no plans to get a third anytime soon. I asked Robert how someone like me could do a backcountry trip with two riding horses.
1: Packing is dependent upon having a, a spare animal, and probably at, last time I, I checked the data, 80 to 85 percent of horse owners only have their riding animal. They don't have, you know, the, the spare critter hanging out, um, you know, in, in the barn because spare critters are expensive. And I certainly didn't, uh, not at first. So if somebody wants to get into the backcountry without a pack animal, the good news is you still can um Celeste my much much better half and I we went into many wilderness areas off our riding stock for years before I I took the splurge and took the plunge into um uh, a, a regular pack animal now when you go off your riding stock um it becomes a little bit more complicated because we want to give our our horses uh the fair deal if you will and so we want to reduce the weight that they're carrying as much as possible. Uh, anytime you're asking your animals to do anything, weight and volume are, are the enemies. Um, I think everyone uh, listening can agree that, uh, the Calvary of old actually used their animals and their animals were in shape as opposed to most of us <laughs> recreational trail riders, um, And their rule of thumb, no, not the rule of thumb, their rule was they would ask their animals to carry no more than 20% of their animal's body weight. And for the sake of math, I'll say the average horse weighs 1,000 pounds, 20% of 1,000 pounds is 200 pounds, and that's all they would ask that animal to carry. And that includes not just the rider, but the saddle and everything else. Uh, I won't uh, go into the average weight of, of, of an American, <laughs> but I think we can all see where a challenge is coming up and rather quickly. Um, fortunately, there are a lot of ways to reduce weight and volume uh, for what we carry to give our animals that, that fair deal. Everything from when I go in off my riding stock, I don't take a tent. I'll take a hammock um, and a tarp. So I'll be a, a bear piñata as opposed to a bear burrito, I guess. Um, it's only freeze-dried foods, you know, very lightweight. Uh, I don't take feed for the animals when when we're going in like that. So all of, of our trips are planned around the availability of, of good graze wherever our destination point is. Um, so that requires again a lot of planning. Along with that planning, I gotta know where water is. So I need to be talking to the local backcountry horsemen group, um, the local land managers for my destination for information on is water going to be available at this time of the year? Or will this does this um spring dry up in the summer? That type of information. You know, uh, as well as being able to read a a topo map of the area. When you're going in off your riding stock, the planning is a lot more involved because you have to go lightweight and low volume on everything. Just like I said, to give your animal that uh, fair deal and to make your margin of safety that much greater. But it's certainly doable and, and not a difficult thing. It just takes a little bit of planning.
0: It sounds like a lot of fun, but still a little bit intimidating. There's a lot to think about between your needs and that of your animals.
1: When we first started packing off our riding animals, because we didn't have a, a dedicated pack animal, it was it was a, a learning process. And, and I guess there's different ways to do it. You know, you could use saddle panniers and just load up your, your riding animal and just hike in. Uh, so I prefer to go ultra lightweight, but uh, here in, in Washington, and indeed uh, throughout the, uh, the, the West Coast, we have the uh, um, Pacific Crest Trail, and I don't quite understand why someone would want to do it, but some people, they're called thru-hikers, and they hike from Canada to Mexico or, or vice versa. And they are just the experts on going lightweight. And anytime we were on on that bit of trail and we would run across them through hikers, um, you know, have a candy bar, you know, tell me, tell me what you're carrying (laughs) and why. Um, I don't go as far as to cut my toothbrush in half, but I learned so much from the lightweight hiking community. And I I, I think my animals really appreciate what we learn from them as well. Uh, Because despite, you know, being a thousand pounds and we think they're huge and and can do anything, they can't. I want to make our trips just as fun for the animals as it is for us. Uh, My horses and mules, they come to the gate when I hook up the trailer. And I hate to ascribe human emotions to them, but... I am convinced that if they did not like trail riding and camping, they would not come to the gate when I I, I hook up the trailer.
0: Well, there you have it. A quick guide to getting started with backcountry riding and packing. Just follow a few basic guidelines regarding weight to keep your animals happy, do your homework and research trail conditions, grazing and water availability to keep everybody healthy, then pack up your lightest necessities and hit the trail. I don't know about you, but I'm inspired. I'm super excited to get out and try it with our horses. I'm going to go start planning my first trip right now. Be sure to visit trailmeister.com when you start your own research, and remember to help other riders by contributing information about your local trails. If you have any comments to share about this show or suggestions for the future, I'd love to hear them. You can interact with me on the show's Facebook page, Happy Trails Podcast, or email me, jess at rideclimb.com. You can also follow along with my nomadic travel adventures with the horses on Facebook and Instagram at Ride Climb or on our blog, rideclimb.com. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, Happy Trails! The Happy Trails podcast was created and produced by me, Jessica Isbrecht. The show's music was written and performed by Jason Shaw.